who's from from the Drogulus project, and he's he's a, a technical Python uh, person, and he's a, a trained musician, and he's also used to be a teacher, uh, and he's making uh, the Drogulus, and uh, Nicholas is going to tell us all about it. So, so uh, hello, hello. So, what is the Drogulus? Um, well, uh, basically, the Drogulus is a programmable peer-to-peer -peer data store that I've been working on. Um, during my commute into London, my 40 minutes commute in the morning. Um, and basically what it is, it's a, it's a bit of an experiment um, in, in peer-to-peer decentralization. Um, and it's a sort of a place for me to, uh, to experiment and explore some fun ideas that, that have been sort of knocking around in my head for quite a while. Um, so the Drogulus itself is, is a global federated decentralized uh, open data store that can be programmed by, by anyone. Um, and uh, we ensure that sort of identity and provenance of, of people using the, the Drogulus um, is ensured by um, cryptographically signing um, digital assets. We use public key cryptography for that. Um, so being federated um, in that the system consists of many independent um, entities and decentralized in that there's no one entity more important than any of the others, uh, it, it means that users are free from choke points of authority uh, that may be used to control access uh, or usage of the system. Um, being so open... That's quite, that's quite a kind of big word. What, from a user's point of view, how will that look in the end? How will it look? <laughs> how will it work? How will it, how will it work? Kind of, in well, terms of the interface that someone using it would experience? Like, um, I've just not got to that part yet. Um, yeah, it's all pretty low level. I have some ideas as to how it might work, um, but um, you know, the important thing for me at the moment is to get the sort of the basic uh, technology right and working, um, and, and then build on top of that. Um, so, I'm so what, sorry, yeah, that, and that technology uses a relatively new algorithm, doesn't it? The distributed hash table algorithm. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so um, yes, distributed hash tables. So, um, okay, I better explain what that is. So, at a kind of a totally abstract and non-technical level, I'll explain sort of how it works. This is the story of a distributed hash table, as it were. Uh, it's a sort of a peer-to-peer -peer dictionary. Um, so, there's like a, a unique key in the dictionary that identifies some value. Um, so in the case of a traditional dictionary, the key is the word, and then and the associated value is its definition, like aardvark is sort of a, an animal with a long snout that always appears at the beginning of dictionaries. Um, uh, and being a data store, though, um, the distributed hash table allows users to create, retrieve, update, and delete their own keys and associated digital values. Um, so the hash table is distributed uh, because it's split up into, into many, um, it's equivalent of sort of the, the, the different volumes of a traditional dictionary, where each volume um, relates to a particular area within the, the, the whole dictionary, as it were. Um, and each person, whoever uses the distributed hash table, uh, has a copy of just one volume um, uh, from the, 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 the distributed hash table. Uh, but each, each volume um, can be distributed to many, many different users. And so what users do is that they keep track of their friends on the network to know which friend holds what volume so that uh, when they want to interact with the distributed hash table, they know who to contact in order to, to retrieve the value or affect the change in the distributed hash table. Um, and if they don't know uh, the person with the correct 
volume for the thing that they're trying to interact with. Um, then they play sort of a six degrees of separation game uh, with their friends until the person with the right volume is found. Um, and the other important thing to mention about distributed hash tables is that uh, they show an interesting property with BitTon, which is where the more popular um, an entry uh, into the distributed hash table becomes, the more widespread it becomes within the dictionary itself. So it means that performance has improved since popular items are, are actually easier to find. Um, that's that's kind of it at, at, at a high level, um, without getting mm. into technical detail. So it's like a, a totally different way of storing things. So rather than stored on a physical hard drive on my computer, they're kind of actually spread out over the internet? Yeah. Do I yeah. not even know where they are? Absolutely. Um. <laughs> And they're, and they're replicated in, because it, it's a very nebulous thing, this distributed hash table, so there are peers joining and leaving the hash table all the time. So part of the algorithm is that um, values are replicated um, through the hash table so that um, you know, you'd have to get rid of a, a huge number of nodes to, be, to ensure that you've got rid of a, a, of a value. Yeah. So I was about um, to say, so suppose uh, some computers that happen to store, I had a document I'd saved in the hash table, like important yeah. document to me, and what, there'd be multiple copies of it in, on different people's machines. That's correct, yes. And then, and they'd be encrypted, presumably, in, in um, the Drogulus The, the only uses cryptography to sign digital assets. Okay. If you want to encrypt your data because you want to make it private, then that's, that's up to you. Okay. Um, so that could be dealt with at a higher level. Yeah. Obviously, but uh, okay, so I'm working kind of at a very low level um, here to get the basic functionality right. Yeah, so I put my document in lots of different places. It's spread automatically by the distributed hash table across the yeah. internet. And then, if several of those computers then disappear for some reason, or the person stops running software or deletes all of the content in their node, yeah. does it then detect that and then replicate it automatically to other nodes? Or okay, so, yes. So there's um. And so the algorithm that I use is called Kademlia, um, and there's rather an excellent paper from about 10 years ago that, that explains this in, in great detail. But um, every X number of minutes, the, um, uh, the, the algorithm tries, or, or a node, will try and replicate its, um, its value um, to, uh, to close by peers. Um, so it will try and sort of spread things out um, like that. Uh, the other thing is, is that the way Kademli works is, is that it tries to use the most, um, the, the best performing peers on the distributed hash table. So um, mm. it, it'll use those that have demonstrated that they've had lots of uptime, if you see what I mean, um, and, and try and use those more than those that are um, a bit more transient, as it were. Um, so is there a kind of peer rating system, like I don't know, almost like eBay's rating system, where the nodes rank each other? <laughs> uh, well, there's there's something called the routing table, um, which uh, is is basically how, um, if you remember the story I just told you about the distributed hash table, that's that's where uh, the, the the node on the network keeps track of its friends, as it were, friends um, on um, elsewhere on the distributed hash table. And that's actually ordered so that the um, most performing, that the best performing nodes um, are, are ranked higher in the routing table than than, than other nodes. Okay. Um, so, so uh, yeah, the Drogulus then presumably it's not the first implementation of, of DHT. Uh, what, what what motivated you to make the Drogulus, uh, and what's kind of interesting about it? Okay, so um, obviously the the uh, okay so. 
there are lots of different uh, distributed hash tables, and, and obviously there's, there was an implementation behind the, the original paper. Um, the most famous implementation of Kademlia is, is probably uh, the way BitTorrent uses it um, for, for tracking, um, for, for replacing tracking. That's um, in the magnet links specifically. Yeah, that's the magnet yeah. links and things like that. Um, so my motivation for um, creating the drop list is, is a bit different to, to, to BitTorrent and things, but um, um, basically I, I have a growing unease with the current state of the web. Um, and, and, and this could be sort of summarized in, in three ways. Um, the first one is that on the web, users are no longer in control of their, of their data or online identity, and they're, they're locked into websites that act as walled gardens of data, each requiring a different set of credentials, mm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The, the, the second problem, unease, that I have is that programmers um, have to build stuff on the web using complicated and, and, and quirky technology um, that, that's that's defined in a top-down manner um, by committees and things. Um, you know, you only have to sort of think about OAuth and cores and JavaScript date objects and things like <laughs> that to realize that um, it, it, it's a bit it's a bit hacky, and there's no way for um, for developers to sort of maybe get around that. They have to wait for browser developers to implement the latest version of JavaScript or or implement the latest HTML5 things, and they had no say about the fact that. You know, DRM is going into the new standard and things like that. Um, so it, it's top down rather than bottom up. Um, and the, the, the most important problem I have is that there are many advertent points of control and lock in and authority built into the web uh, by virtue of the way that it, it, it's built architected. Uh, um, e e each of these problems is, is uh, each of which is a sort of a potential mechanism for, for disempowerment and spying and exploitation and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. Which obviously we, you know, given the recent sort of shenanigans with with Snowden and uh, you know the Pirate Bay being censored, and, and of course everybody knows about the Great Firewall of China. Um, you know, I think that um, you know um, that the sort of the beautifully simple and open sort of hypertext system that Tim Berners Lee um, created has, has grown into a mechanism of of sort of centralization and, and, and complication. That, that's beholden to sort of dodgy commercial, political, and legal manipulation, and uh, you know more worrying. Our our data is analysed by companies, and it's sold in the form of targeted advertising, and and governments get access to it without our consent. Um, so, the, to get back to the drogulus rather than slagging off the web, which I believe is a, is a great thing, um, <laughs> there, there, but there there are many aspects of today's web that are contrary to a concept that that, that is very important to me, and that that's autonomy. Um, so by autonomy, I, I mean someone who is self-directing; they're free to act of their own accord, and and they lack imposition from others. Um, and autonomy also suggests that there's some sort of intelligence and reasoning, um, and awareness enough to be able to 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 enjoy and make use of of, of this freedom that you have. Uh, and uh, by having this intelligence, um, it, it sort of entails decision making, so that people become accountable for their actions. And um, and lastly, autonomy is sort of the opposite of such undesirable states as as, um, as tyranny and slavery and, and nasty things like that. So so I asked myself, you know, how would software designed to promote autonomy function? And um, I started to hack, and um, and we get the drogulus. <laughs> mm, interesting. So it's like. The, you think the original web was felt free, and that it's a kind of recreating that again in some ways, or what it was originally meant to be. Um, okay, I'm I'm old enough to remember using the web <laughs> when it was just text only, mm. um, mm. and 
when I was at university uh, um, back in 1993 using the Mosaic web browser and I remember actually staying up until the early hours in the computing lab um, just browsing the net and, and realizing that NASA is on the web and look there's all this information over here and there's this, this guy writing stuff over here and, and, and uh, you know all this amazing stuff and uh, at the moment it just feels like well, I was thinking about this yesterday which websites do I visit the most? Well, there's Google for search. Um, mm. There's the BBC News website, the Guardian, Hacker News for all my sort of technology stuff. And I've got various RSS readers, but uh, RSS feeds, and through which I used to use um, Google Reader, which is now shut down. And that's the thing. So there are only sort of a handful of websites that I might use. Um, uh, uh, and gone is the sort of proliferation of. Everybody had a different blog, and and people were in control because they they were in control of their server, and, and so on and so forth. Um, mm. So yes, in, in a way, it, it is a little bit about getting back to that decentralized nature that, that was the beginning of the web. Um, so there's quite a few of these projects that are, are thinking about how to re-decentralize the internet in different ways. So yeah. what do you think the implications are? What might happen, and what are the what should we watch out for, both good and bad? Um, when people yeah. start to use things like the Droculus. Okay, so I mean the Droculus isn't finished, so you, you can't use it yet, um, although it's getting close to a usable state. Um, it works a bit for programmers. <laughs> works a bit for programmers, you can get the test suite to pass through. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so uh, basically, from my point of view, decentralization um, means a, a loss of power um, or, a, or a movement of power from those that control and use the centralized systems that we currently have uh, to those who participate participate in and, and build the, the decentralized systems that, that are being built. Um, and it, and it's, it, it's a sort of a way of answering three questions. You know, what is the best way to organize diverse entities um, that coexist together in large dynamic groups like in a society or in a network? Um, how are these arrangements created and, and who is responsible for making these things work? And th these are questions, uh, unsurprisingly, that are important for both political philosophy and software engineering. Um, and show that you know there's quite a lot of overlap between these two subjects when you start to think about it. Um, so you know questions of questions like you know what is the best way to organise diverse entities can be answered uh, in a political w way by saying well use this form of government rather mm. than that form of government and so on and so forth. Um, so peer to peer answers questions by these questions by saying um, you know the, the most effective way to organise a diverse dynamic group of things, participants, is with a peer-to-peer -peer architecture, which can be, for example, for a, for a technical reason, like BitTorrent, it's just more efficient to do what you want to do in that particular way. Or it might be for political reasons, like, you know, with Bitcoin, um, because you don't want a central bank um, controlling a currency. Mm. Um, and, and the means of creating such a network is, is, is via an open protocol um, that, that, that describes the expected behavior of the participants, including sort of checks and balances to ensure that the participants are are behaving themselves on the network, um, and it's therefore the it's the participants' responsibility um, to correctly implement the protocol in order to make the system work correctly. So, um, I, I guess that the, the re-decentralization. Re I'll try and say that properly. <laughs> it's um, a bit long, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It, 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 I think it's going to become a significant force because people have um, seen the pendulum swing from. A decentralized web to a very centralized web, and the pendulum is swinging back. There's a reaction to this centralization, um, and it'll become a sort of significant force for change. 
um, and that it's sort of our responsibility as people who are uh, participating in creating these peer-to-peer -peer systems to make sure that, that what we we do provides a sort of net improvement um, on the way things are at the moment and promotes you know autonomy this thing that, that I think is valuable rather than facilitate sort of disempowerment and spying and sort of other nefarious sort of activities um, yeah that's about it. Great. Thanks, Nicholas. Uh, I've got to wrap up now. I feel a bit more responsible as a programmer, I have to say. Well, um, yeah. There's <laughs> a, have to... There, there's, um, programming is a political activity because we're creating the rules of the digital world as programmers. And if you do it in an unthinking way without considering the ethical implications of what it is that you're writing, then in some sense you're, you're not being responsible. Um, and this is something that's important yeah. to me. But. So if people want to contribute code to the Drogulus, where can they find it? <laughs> it's, a, it's on that centralized code repository called GitHub. It'll be github.com slash entol slash Drogulus. Um, so there's a okay. website. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Nicholas. US as well. So that's all right. My pleasure. Drogula.us. Drogula <laughs> I'll put it on the, on the yes, website. Yes, definitely. That has all the details on it. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Good talking to you, and you have a good rest of this summery day. <laughs> I will. I have a hammock okay. waiting for uh, <laughs> <laughs>